1: Not echoing now, but I'll have to, I'm going to have to hold the phone, but I need the microphone on my headset. So I, am you know, I, this whole world of short, you know, these talk shows, it's way ahead of me by year. Okay, American Underground
2: Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their lives, Pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human God, the politician, Reach incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So, who is the bigger liar? The public or the godfather? All revolutions have been
0: led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe. <coughs> the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future
2: because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon,
0: Jim Comet, Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. What a momentous week that we have just been through, and we're not really going to focus on on the Mueller report. Uh, this has been buzzing, the airwaves, the highways, the high and the low waves, uh, and, and we're so thrilled. Uh, what we're going to be doing tonight is uh, getting back down to brass tacks, uh, some of the roots uh, uh, of the uh, eagle. Is it my echoing? Yeah, you're echoing. echoing Sorry. Hello. Oh, testing. 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 Uh, <laughs> the madness in the of, of of evil has a foundational root, uh, as 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 crazy as it is, that that for hundreds of years has been seeded in the pathways and the byways and the highways of the consciousness of of Americans to destroy. The Christian heritage. Ralph Epperson, uh, noted <clears throat> author, historian, patriot, uh, author of, of the bestseller on Amazon, "Unseen Hand," it's been out there for many, many years. Uh, documented the Masonic conspiracy, and uh, going to be talking about one of the key planks, the elements of this conspiracy, uh, as it relates to <clears throat> a, a, a doctrine. Uh, or a, a, a philosophy, of a scientific, supposed scientific, uh, documented, uh, <clears throat> proof of evolution, which he will read to us today, chapter and verse, and expose the fact that it's a total, utter fraud. Uh, Ralph, thanks for coming on. Your websites are in the links to the news, uh, are in, in our newsletter, uh, the unseen hand link, your website's in there as well. And, uh, also want to note that Ralph has a AOL email address, and if you want to shoot him a message after this call or in the weeks ahead, Epperson, his last name, followed by RA at AOL.com is his email. Epperson, RA at AOL.com. Ralph, thanks for coming on, and we're going to lead off tonight. we uh, are going to do a dotted line connection, and then we'll come back to the ultimate conspiracy, the Masonic Conspiracy and tie this into your presentation uh, on uh, the fraud behind Darwin's evolution. So go ahead, Ralph. Thanks well, you,
1: you're terribly kind, and I can't thank you enough for this opportunity. Uh, we're going to examine the theory of evolution, uh, and we're going to use, in the beginning, we're going to use the words of Charles Darwin himself, because he admitted in his own book, Origin of Species, that his theory was wrong, and we're going to read page numbers. I'll document that by page numbers. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the book has been reprinted sometimes, and uh, it's very sometimes when it's reprinted, it's a different page number. So I use the Penguin edition uh, of okay. the book, and I so. But anyway, I'll cite it by that particular book. But anyone who wants to verify this can bring their copy with me, and we'll find the quotes, and you can read for yourself that Darwin admitted it was a just total fraud. It's not, it's not true, and he knew it, and yet he published his book, Charles Darwin. Uh, the uh, Origin of Species was the title of his, of his book, and he published it in 1859, I think it was. And I want to explain that I'm uh, I'm not a scientist. I have no degree in any scientific field of study. My degree is a bachelor's from the University of Arizona in business, but that doesn't matter because my next sentence explains I'm a high school student. And I'm taking a course that teaches the Evolutionary Theory of Origins, and I'm telling the teacher, if you want me to believe it, you'll need to provide me with some evidence that it's true. Now, I've been reading on both sides of this issue for over 45 years, and I'm totally convinced that what I will be presenting today is completely true. I have no staff assisting me, no researchers doing my research, no one advising me and no one funding my work. I'm totally responsible for what you'll see and hear as I proceed through this material. And as I said, as we were talking before we started, if any of you have a question you want to ask as we go along, please do so. But I can assure you more than likely it'll be answered during later parts of the discussion. But anyway, you're more than welcome to go ahead. Uh, I wrote an article for the uh, Tucson Daily Citizen in 1990 and they published it in the the title of what it was on their editorial page on their sunday uh, their saturday paper frogs don't turn into princes as evolutionists claim so now we're going to talk about that and i said when i was a young boy my mother would occasionally read me a bedtime story that she called a fairy tale one of these told about how a frog turned into a prince After she had finished with her soothing reading of the story, she assured me that this was just a story because it could not be real. She did not want me to believe in fairy tales. It wasn't until I went to college that I learned how wrong my mother was. Fairy tales can come true. Frogs do turn into princes. PhDs all over the world know that. They call the process evolution. All it takes is time. It was in 1859 that Charles Darwin published his book entitled The Origin of Species. Let me start the explanation of how Mr. Darwin admitted that his theory was wrong when he wrote it. First of all, I must define the word science. Webster's New World Dictionary defines it as knowledge derived from observation, study, and experimentation. So I will make observations about this subject in keeping with the dictionary definition of the word. In other words, I want to use a scientific explanation to prove how wrong it is. I would like to start by quoting Pierre Paul Grassé, called the most eminent French zoologist, from page four of his book entitled Evolution of Living Organisms. Quote: The process of evolution is revealed only notice he said only through fossil forms a knowledge of paleontology which by the way is defined as a study of fossils a knowledge of paleontology is a prerequisite so i shall make my observations from the fossil record now i would like to define the evolutionary process from the words of mr darwin himself as natural selection acts solely by accumulating slight successive favorable variations, evolution can produce no great or sudden modifications. It can act only by short and slow steps. In other words, the universe, all of the animal life was not created all at once. It takes great and uh, uh, slow, slightly successive favorable variation. That's his theory. Next, I would like to point out that Mr. Darwin admitted that his theory was difficult to accept. He wrote a letter to Thomas Huxley, one of his major supporters, on December the 2nd, 1869, 10 years after the book, just a few years after it was published. This is what he wrote. Quote, I entirely agree with you that the difficulties of my notions are terrific. Mr. Darwin was having problems with his notions as well so now that we have seen that darwin himself had problems with his theory i would like to quote two scientists who saw no problems with darwin's notions dr carl sagan astronomer cordell university we will see that he did not have problems with darwin's notions he wrote this in his book entitled the dragons of eden in 1977 listen to this evolution is a fact documented by the fossil record so dr sagan disagreed with charles darwin because darwin admitted that there were difficulties with his notions i would like to quote dr stephen j gould a harvard paleontologist dr gould frequently appeared on the major news networks explaining why blue believed that evolution was in truth the correct position. That was he was one of the experts they used to go to to prove evolution. This was his comment in his book. No scientist or thinking person doubts the basic fact that life evolves I'll re-quote it. no scientist or thinking person doubts the basic fact that life evolves. So Dr. Gould also did not have any difficulties with Darwin's So, I will develop the information that both Dr. Sagan and Gould were not scientists or thinking persons because they both admitted that evolution was a fact while Darwin himself doubted that it was. Now it is time to start the discovery of the problems that Darwin saw with his own theory. The first of five major problems was Darwin's theory is the fact. That there is a sudden appearance of abundant life in the Cambrian layer. Now, let's talk about the the Cambrian layer in the geologic column. The geologic column shows the various layers of rock on the Earth as envisioned by the evolutionists. And I showed one, and they said it was the simplest one that I could find. The evolutionists believe that the most recent and complex fossils will be on the top layer, and the oldest and simplest ones will be at the bottom, called the Cambrian layer. So that's where the bottom one is called the Cambrian one. It's shown by showing the green arrow, of course, show you where it was. And there are few, if there are few, if any fossils in the pre. Cambrian layer on the bottom, which means this is where the process started in the Cambrian layer in the fossil record in the uh, geologic column. But before before we examine whether or not there is abundant life in the Cambrian layer, let me discuss some of the other problems with the entire geologic column. For instance, 77 percent of the surface areas of the Earth has seven or more of the layers missing. 94% of the Earth's surface has three or more layers missing. And 99.6% has at least one missing layer. So the entire geologic columns exist only in the drawings of the geologists. Let me now discuss another difficulty one can have with Darwin's notions. This—I showed a slide. This is the Plexi River near Glen Rose, Texas, southwest of Dallas. I went there, by the way, and saw this. And but I've read books on it. I've uh, uh, attended—you know—read several books on the subject, and I'm convinced it's got a very important point to make. And I'm going to talk about it. The river suffered a huge flood in 1908 when the river rose 20. Seven feet, and when the people who lived near the river visited it, they found the top layers had eroded off, and the river level had dropped by many feet. The new layer of the Paluxy River has been called the Glen Rose Limestone, designated as Early Cretaceous. This layer has been thought to be approximately 120 million years old so it was on top of the the cambium layer this layer crustaceous were a bunch of other layers that were eroded off by the flood so now let's talk about that and the visitors started noticing various dinosaur footprints in the stone but not just individual prints but many tracks made as they moved forward step by step through the mud in the river here is a drawing perhaps for the cover of a book, of course they showed it, showing what type of dinosaurs made it attraction. They showed two different dinosaurs, both of which, according to their fossil records, had that kind of footprint that was left in the, in the mud when this uh, when they walked across it. But not only did the visitors find dinosaur footprints, they found human footprints as well, sometimes together. So these footprints drew researchers to the river to investigate their findings. But sometime later, after the footprints became public, the evolutionists went to the Plexi River and looked at the footprints and noticed that some had, quote, changed color, end quote, which led them to believe they were not valid. So now the questions about the Plexi River footprints have basically ended up as being abandoned. Because now, this is me, the crisis didn't want to debate the thing and wrestle with these people over footprints that still exist, but they don't like it. So they said, leave it alone, it's not important. But I want to talk about a book entitled Tracking Those Incredible Dinosaurs by Dr. John Morris. Dr. Morris received his PhD in geological engineering from the University of Oklahoma in 1980. Dr. Morris himself visited the Plexi River site in 1975, along with two others, and they commented on what they saw in the river. He included a black and white photograph of his foot, his human footprint, you know, uh, took, took his socks and shoes off on page 147 of his book. This version of the footprint can be found on Google images, but this time it is in color. And the one in his book was, of course, black and white. You will notice that there is no evidence of a color change so it was not one of those that reportedly did change you can clearly see that it was made by a human because you can see the impression of the five toes and a heel and an arch you can also see evidence of the mud being squeezed upwards between some of the toes as the foot was pressed into the soft mud 120 million years ago, and the different sizes of the five toes in keeping with the human footprint. Dr. Morris also included a black and white photograph on page 63 of a seven foot long carbonized stick found embedded in the Glen Rose limestone knows it was half visible, but the other half was locked solid by the limestone itself. And they showed a broom off to the left hand side to show you how, how big this, the thing was, the scale of it. This this, this piece of uh, wood was carbon dated by the UCLA laboratory at Hold on, America. Twelve thousand years old. Uh, wait a minute, twelve thousand years in a layer of rock, one hundred and twenty million years old. Is there is there something wrong here? Wow! I believe you can see the enormous problems that these two photographs offered by Dr. Mars Pose. To the evolutionists. Which, which one is correct? The carbon dating of 12,000 years old in a, in, a, in a piece of stock stick that you can see in the photograph is embedded. They just took a small sampling of the stuff that's above the, of the rock layer and took it to UCLA, 12,000 years. But the rock is 120 million years old, or maybe up to, you know, 100 million years old man has been on the earth for approximately one million years and the seven foot stick in the rocks was dated at 12,000 years old yes there are difficulties with darwin's notions now let me quote charles darwin on the notions about the cambrian layer <laughs> there's your coach now by the way i don't have my the the, the uh well a couple of my do but generally they're they're on the slides on my on my DVD. So I don't have the exact page number with me on my notes. I didn't quote it, I just showed it when I showed the slides. So you'll have to bear with me. Uh, right. But if you watch the slide, you'll see the footnote, and you can go to that page in the book. So I'll just explain that I won't be giving you the page number. Uh, unless, Maybe once in a while, I might have done so on my notes. But I'm reading my lecture notes for when I uh, made the DVD. These are the words from Charles Darwin himself, quote, the abrupt manner in which whole groups of species suddenly appear in the Cambrian layer. Now, let me explain. That's the oldest layer down at the bottom, the very bottom one, has been urged by several paleontologists as a fatal, fatal, I'm saying, this is me now, fatal, fatal, fatal objection to the belief in transmutations meaning the slow change from species A to species B. He went on, if numerous species have really started into life all at once, did you catch that? Darwin said the oldest layer should have just nothing but simple fossils, and he found out that there's abundant life of all, foss- of all species even today. So if it started all at once, the fact, notice he said the fact, the fact would be fatal. Notice that Darwin said this evidence would be fatal. Yes, he, I'm going to repeat it. He said fatal to his theory of, quote, descent with slow modification through natural selection. Do you understand what he just said? He saw That down in the lowest layer, there was not simple life, it was abundant life. Horses and cows and giraffes and fossils and and, and fowl and water birds and whatever else you could see, all down in the oldest layer of rock. He said that by itself would be fatal to his theory. Now, please hold on to that thought. It's worse yet. Hold on, we're not through. It would be fatal to his theory. I seem to remember hearing that eating poisonous mushrooms would be fatal to the individual, just to show you that he knew what the word meant. In other words, the poisonous mushrooms would kill the person, and the the, the fact of abundant life in the oldest layer of rock would be fatal to his theory, meaning it would be dead. It would kill his theory. Here I do have a page, page 313. Several of the most eminent geologists of the day are convinced that we see the Cambrian layer is the oldest, the dawn of life on this planet. Even his fellow scientists saw the early life, uh, all life down at the bottom. So once again, Darwin admitted that if there was a sudden appearance of numerous species in the lowest layer of the geologic column, it would kill his theory. Now let's see if there is evidence. That there is abundance of life exhibited in the Cambrian layer of the geologic column. I showed the copy of a December 4th, 1995 edition of Time magazine. I showed the cover, so that to document what, what it was, you know, you know, whole color photograph of the front page. The title was the on top of the, you know, the animals et cetera floating around in the water. The cover story is evolution's big bang. It is then subtitled, New Discoveries Show That Life as We Know It Began in an Amazing Biological Frenzy That Changed the Planet Almost Overnight. Now we go inside to the portions of the magazine saying this about the Cambrian Rare Quote, Then in the early Cambrian, creatures with teeth and tentacles and claws and jaws with teeth materialize with the suddenness of apparitions, meaning ghosts, in a burst of creativity like nothing before or since. Nature appears, this is me now, nature appears to have virtually sketched out the blueprints for the whole of the animal kingdom at the lowest layer of rock. Now, well, I must admit that this is a magazine reporting on this Cambrian Explosion, and one could argue that these writers might not be scientists. So now, let me identify the thoughts on this subject by real scientists. By the way, I go back maybe 20, 30 years, so most of these are pretty recent. Let me start with this observation of Dr. Stephen J. Gould, the one we already quoted said that it's a fact. Listen to this who said that no scientist, I'll quote it again, said that no scientist or thinking person could doubt the basic facts of evolution. He wrote this, I argue that an outstanding fact of the fossil record is the geologically sudden origin of new species. What? Wait, 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 he's changing his theory. That means that Dr. Gould was not a scientist or a thinking person because he supported evolution, but then stated the sudden appearance of all life was called fatal to his evolution. Dr. Stephen J. Gould taught at Harvard. One of the leading scientists of his day taught this lie, even though he knew it wasn't true. And I'm going to tell you why in a few minutes. He didn't support evolution. We shall see later how he chose to deal with this fact. I want to quote Dr. Dwayne Gish, Ph.D., has said during his debates with evolutionists, he did this probably in the 1990s to 2000s, maybe up to 10 or something. He said, quote, I was there when he said it, 95% of all animals living on the surface of the earth are found in the Cambrian layer of rock. No, Darwin said you're going to find simple life. Let's quote Dr. Robert Carter, PhD, reported this in his book entitled Evolution's Achilles' Heel, page 128. I got the note for some reason. Descent with modification should progress from simple to complex. That's the theory of evolution. Instead, the greatest evolutionary innovations appear suddenly. Dr. Douglas Dewar, a British biologist, was quoted in a book entitled The Bone Peddlers meaning fossil doctors, a great fauna, uh, flora, and fauna. The flora means, of course, uh, you know, uh, 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 plants, and fauna means animal life. A great fauna appears on the scene with startling abruptness at the beginning of the Cambrian layer. Doctor Dewar admitted it as well. He said, "We find nothing, 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 which suggests slow evolution." Doctor Preston who, a cloud, wrote these thoughts in the Geology Magazine in 1973. In the Cambrian Rocks is found a multitude of highly complex creatures. Science Magazine of May the 5th, 1978 placed every major animal group in the fossil record in the Cambrian Rocks. All of them are down there. Perhaps this is the time to discuss the horse series of fossils because it is one of the earliest attempts to show that the modern horse had evolved during its history. The series starts with a, with a three- and four-toed horse and then passes through several three-toed creatures and ends with a single-toed horse. Horse. Now, I showed a, a, a drawing, you know, a, 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 clearly, a clear drawing of animals, horses, from little tiny ones all the way through the top to the current modern horse today. So you'll see that on my slide. So now let's continue your reading. Nowhere in the world are the fossils of the horse series found in successive layers of the geologic column. When you examine one stratum in the geological column, you will find both the three-toed and the one-toed animals found together. Yet the evolutionists have taught that they were separated by millions of years. In South America, the one-toed horse is even found below the three-toed creature, meaning it evolved first. Yet the horse series says it evolved after the one-toed horse. So another okay now. In fact, a fossil of a fully developed modern day horse was found in the Cambrian layer of rock. But there is even more amazing circumstances in the horse series. The four toed horse had eighteen pairs of ribs, the next had nineteen pairs, the third had fifteen pairs, and the modern horse has eighteen. The earliest horse was found in the same strata along. Two types of modern horses. This series of the evolution of the horse was on display of a of full-sized animals at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Now, just as this is me now talking without my notes. A little Rafi Epperson was uh, went to New York in 1947 and 49 when I was just a young boy. Now don't start adding figures there, you people. Just don't. Just let it, let it lay. I said I was there in 47 and 49. Don't start figuring out that I have to admit I'm over 39. Just just leave that alone, because I actually saw this display, but strangely enough, it's been removed. They removed it. They removed it. In other words, the horse did not evolve. So, in other words, they thought it did, and they had the proof of it, and they showed it, but then modern scientists looked and found out it was as phony as a $1 bill. So, but while we are here, it might be appropriate to talk about another quotation taken from the origin of species by Mr. Darwin. Quote, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could also mean, of course, any animal species so if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ in the animal species which could not be formed by numerous successive slight modifications my theory would absolutely break down now Dr. Epperson the honorary PhD from the Sam Hughes Elementary School (laughs) when I graduated from the sixth grade I got an honorary PhD I would like to submit to Dr. Darwin the living animal known as a platypus, as an example to Darwin's challenge. If you can find one that does it, it would absolutely break down his theory. This animal was first seen in 1797, and it posed a real problem for those evolutionists who believed Darwin's theory. It has hair like a bear, a tail like a beaver, a bill like a duck, it lays eggs like a turtle, it has webbed feet like an otter, it burrows like a rabbit, it has claws like a lizard, and it feeds milk to its young like a mammal. It looks like a combination of reptile, bird, fish, and furred animal. But in conclusion, there's actually no evidence that it could have evolved from anything. So the platypus by itself breaks down the entire theory of evolution just like darwin feared the platypus by the way when they found one i think in indonesia they sent it to some scientist in washington dc and said look what we found and the guy got it and said i, I knew how what is this he actually tried to pry he thought it was a fake he tried to pry the bill of the duck of the duck of the mouth of the platypus off with pliers. And the the, the the little animal still is in display there. And you can see where the, he made an indentation, because it wasn't a fake. It was real. So modern-day scientists in many fields of thought have all given testimony to the evidence of a Cambrian explosion, where modern-day life suddenly appeared in the oldest layers of the geologic column, whereby inference the layers should show simple life being fossilized. Let me repeat the thoughts of Mr. Darwin on this subject. The abrupt manner in which whole groups of species suddenly appear in the Cambrian layer has been urged by several paleontologists, those, of course, of his day, as a fatal, fatal objection to the belief in transmutations, meaning the slow changes from species A to species B. If numerous species belonging to the same family have really started into life all at once this fact would be fatal to the theory of descent with slow modification through natural selection in other words his theory is dead with just one quote from Charles Darwin well, actually two I gave you two now let's turn the discussion to the second fatal objection to Darwin's theory of evolution the fact that there have been no no intermediate fossils found in any layer of the geologic <laughs> column. Here's some music.
0: Yeah, wait, who is that? Please set that up. Okay, oh, okay,
1: okay, okay, Greg. I thought you wanted me to start singing. I would be happy to do that. Oh. For you. <laughs> and I can assure you, you don't want me to start singing. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Okay, the fact there's been no intermediate fossils in any layer of the geologic column. Let me discuss what an intermediate fossil is. Darwin had hypothesized that early life would be single-celled, and then that, through a slow but steady progression, it would evolve into another species. Here's a simple explanation of the process. The first species, I have two columns, uh, A to B. So we're going to go from 100% A to a new species called B. So the first fossil would be 100% A and 0% B. So now it's going to slow step. Now I'm doing this, of course, in quick numbers. I go to 99 and 1, which means there's been 1% change into fossil B, 98 and 2, 97 and 3, 96 and 4. And then let's say it got down to 50-50. So it's half B and half A. And then 49% and 51. Now it's becoming more and more B. So now we've got 48, uh, 52, 47, 53, 46, 54, uh, 4% down now towards the end, Forty-four percent 96, 3%, 97, 2, 98, 1, and 99. And finally, it now becomes 0, A, and totally number species uh, uh, B. The species has changed to being 100% species B through the slow process called evolution. Each one of these steps, 99, to one would be an intermediate step in the process of evolution according to Charles Darwin. one could imagine that for every fossil of a and B being found there should be an unknown number of intermediate fossils it could be a hundred it could be a thousand could be ten thousand or even a million we don't know as no one knows because Okay, I'll read my note. I was going to make a comment. I'll read it and cover it in steps. It is impossible to say, but there should be at least some intermediates found for every evolutionary step between any two fossils. There should be a fossil of of 96% and 4%. There should be one of 50 and 50 and one of 25 and 30, whatever it is, uh, 80, whatever. Let's keep reading. Let me start with the second problem that Darwin wrote about. The lack of intermediate fossils were, since is what his thoughts were, why then is not every geologic formation and every stratum meaning the geologic column full of such intermediate links? Geology, which is defined as the science that deals with the Earth's physical structure, assuredly, this is Darwin saying this now, assuredly does not, does not reveal oh. any such finely graduated orga- organic chain. And this perhaps is the most, this is still Darwin, and this perhaps is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be argued against my theory. End quote. Darwin then offered his explanation as to why the fossil record does not reveal any 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 of these intermediates. The explanation lies, I believe, in the extreme imperfection of the geologic record. In other words, the geologic column is imperfect, and someday better paleontologists will find the millions of intermediate fossils that will prove my theory. But in 1859, when he wrote the origin of species, there were no no intermediates and that was quote the most obvious and gravest objection to his theory of slow and continuous modification in the species of the world and if i may now this is me talking we just read it other scientists were pointing that out of international oh, of course and i don't know how many i can't say international but great renown. now these were leading scientists of the day proving that his theory was wrong at the beginning so this is now the year 2018 I made my dv a year ago Uh, 159 years since he wrote this book. So let's examine some of today's paleontologists to see if they have found the millions and millions of intermediate fossils. Anthropologist Edmund R. Leach told the 1981 annual meeting of the British Association for the Advancement of Science, quote, missing links in the sequence of fossil evidence were a worry to Darwin. He felt sure they would eventually turn up, but they are still missing and seem likely to remain so, end quote. David Rapp, the curator of geology at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, which houses the world's largest fossil collection, wrote this, quote, Darwin was embarrassed by the fossil record because it didn't look the way he predicted. We are now 120 years after Darwin." And the fossil record has been greatly expanded. We now have two hundred and fifty thousand fossil species and that as of nineteen seventy nine when he wrote his bulletin, the situation hasn't changed. End quote. That means as of nineteen seventy nine when he wrote this bulletin, there still weren't any intermediate fossils and there should be millions i would like to return to dr gould the scientist who admitted that no scientist doubts that life evolved that was his early statement he wrote another book entitled the panda's thumb published in 1980 his review let's review his thoughts about darwin's theory of evolution from the pages of the book may i remind you first that dr stephen j gould was a harvard professor The fossil record, when Darwin published his book, offered no support for gradual change. No support. Quote, we do not see evolutionary change in the fossil record. End quote. No change. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade... Oh boy, listen to this. The extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade... Secret of paleontology. It's a secret. Extreme rarity. Darwin was so redded to gradualism that he wagered his entire theory on the denial of this literal record. Now, that's the end of the quote. Then he quoted Charles Darwin himself. He who rejects these views on the nature of the geologic record will rightly reject my whole theory End quote wait a minute he just said for the third time his theory was bogus in summary let me summarize what Dr. Gould wrote Darwin knew there were no intermediates for his theory and that those who discover the truth would reject the whole theory of evolution in other words if there are no intermediates the reader could reject evolution So Dr. Gould just said that Darwin knew that there were no in the fossil record, and he published his book anyway. But there was an extremely important thought that Dr. Gould wrote about that would be easy to just gloss over. Let's go back to the single sentence in Dr. Gould's own words. The extreme rarity of the transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology, paleontology is a study of fossils this is so important that I feel I must repeat it in a second review please understand how important significant this is the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology End quote. I'm hoping that you can see the enormity of what Doctor Gould just said, he said that he and the other paleontologists are keeping a secret from the public, and that secret is that there are no there are no intermediate fossils, and that without intermediates, there is no, no, no theory of evolution. They're keeping this secret from the public, Gould. A leading professor of Harvard admitted it in his own book. They're not explaining. You don't when you go to class on, bio, on evolution, they don't show you any evolutionary intermediates because there are none. Now let's document that. It's a trade secret. They keep teaching us that a theory is valid even though they know it is bogus. This is fraud on a monumental of monumental proportions and it is a disgrace to the entire field of scientific thought. Now let me return to Professor Gould's thoughts. Let's see how he answers this question. The evolutionary trees that adorn our textbooks have data only at the tips and nodes of their branches. The rest is inference, not the evidence of fossils. Now, you'll see when they show you the evolutionary thing. They start down with a with a little amoeba, and then they go up to the trunk, and then suddenly the trunk branches off into two two uh, branches, and then, that say, the middle branch goes up to three branches, and then each one of those goes off to another branch, and then the next branch goes off, and suddenly there's man. So we, this whole thing shows the trees of life leading from the simple amoeba up to man through the tree of life, through the, and I showed a copy of it. Notice that Dr. Gould was correct. The only animals are shown at the tips of the branches. That is because there are no intermediates to fill in between. Perhaps I can, oh, I, I, I had a little, okay. Uh, I'm going to skip the next couple. I had some, made some fun of the the, uh, the tree. There. you could do a Google search and find out there's 75 million different trees. Which I'll this. Okay. Now he said that in spite of the fact that there were no intermediates, he still believed that evolution was a fact. We will see how he handled this truth a little later. Colin Patterson, a senior paleontologist at the British Museum of Natural History, wrote a letter to a young student who asked him, why did not show any intermediate fossils in his book? In other words, the student read his book and said, wait a minute, you ain't got no fossils in intermediates. Dr. Colin Patterson, one of the world's leading paleontologists, wrote back, quote, I fully agree with your comment on the lack of direct illustration of evolutionary transitions of course, meaning the transitions in my in me, it's in my book. If I knew of any, notice he said any. If I knew of any fossil or living, I would certainly have included them. I will lay it on the line. Quote, where we're still reading his quote. There is not one, not one, not one such fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. End quote. How many intermediates are there? Not one, and there should be millions. Not one. George Gaylord Simpson, perhaps the twentieth century's foremost billion she said this quote. The regular absence of transitional fossils is an almost universal phenomenon and has long been noted by paleontologists. Dr. David Kitts of the School of Geology at the University of Oklahoma has commented on the absence of intermediate fossils. Evolution required intermediate forms between species, and paleontology does not provide them. You might remember that I quoted Dr. Stephen Jay Gould a little earlier in the presentation where he said that evolution was a fact. I can only presume that Dr. Gould read Darwin's book in which Darwin admitted that there were no intermediates, yet he said that evolution was a fact, and it was even then he admitted that it was, if he read the book, because he had read where Darwin admitted it. He said there is no evolutionary theory without intermediates. Now, this is me talking. I do not understand how anyone could read Darwin's book without learning that Darwin himself knew that there were no intermediates. I'll repeat it once again. There is no evolutionary theory, none, whatever, without intermediates. Apparently, Gould realized that Darwin's theory was simply not true. So he had to come up with a competing theory. So he and Dr. Niles Eldridge of Columbia University in New York City, cooled their thoughts and came up with the new theory of evolution. They called it punctuated equilibrium. Punctuated equilibrium. Let me explain what it means in Gould's own words. We argued that the two outstanding facts of the fossil record geologic sudden origin, meaning evolution's big bang. It was all all the life shows up early in the lowest layer. And the second one is failure to change thereafter, meaning there were no intermediate fossils, reflect the predictions of the new evolutionary theory. He's replacing Darwin. It states that, or, now, this is me, uh, you know, no, I'm reading him from it as well, forgive me. It states that organisms are in a stable condition until a major change causes evolutionary pressure, which results in the sudden appearance of a new species. Does we got species A, and suddenly, the next morning, they wake up, and their species B. And then the next morning, or maybe five years later, a new species shows up, completely formed, no intermediates, nothing. And then we see it all together, all the life to give abundant on the Earth. So then there's stability once again until a new species suddenly appears. So punctuated equilibrium totally replaces Darwin's theory. So these two scientists have developed a new theory of evolution, species A, exists for a long period and then suddenly species b appears fully developed and then species c appears fully developed which leads to species d suddenly appearing fully developed all without intermediate steps so this is the new theory but this is not being taught in colleges they're still teaching evolution and I'm trying to point out, I'm having trouble flipping the page, here we go. By the way, this new evolutionary tends to substantiate the creationist theory of species that all life was created at the same time. That poses another real problem for them because if species all showed up at once, that's what the creationists are teaching. Isn't that interesting? So they've boxed themselves in. They're admitting that the evolution true, but it's not true, but they don't want to admit that creation is true, so we'll teach the old theory. Now I would like to discuss the third problem with Darwin's theory, the need for billions and billions of years for evolution to take place. Let me briefly deal with the age of the universe and of the earth. The evolutionists tell us that the latest estimate of the age of the universe is 14 billion years old. The latest estimate of the age of the Earth is 5 billion years old. It's estimated that man appeared on the Earth about a million, I think it's a million, I might have that date wrong, but it's a a great gap between the, the formation of the Earth and the first man. Evolution needs these long ages for it to have worked. Now let me provide you with some science, science that the universe is young. I showed the per-quality copy of an article that appeared in the April 10, 1982, Tucson, Arizona Citizen newspaper. The headline reads, Sun losing energy data show. The article talked about a US satellite put into orbit two years ago indicated an almost continuous decline in the sun's energy. And in the second part of the same article, from another page, it reported that Dr. John Eddy of the High Altitude Observatory in Boulder, Colorado, had discovered that the sun may have been shrinking by as much as one tenth of one percent every 100 years for the last four centuries. The sun is shrinking, it's measured. This is an article that appeared in the Tucson, Arizona Daily Star November 21, 1986, about four years later. It confirmed that the dimming of the sun had continued, and the article named the satellite has been measuring, a satellite, rather, has been measuring the size of the sun as a solar maximum mission satellite, the name of it. And the headline reads, as you can see, sun has dimmed by 0.1% since 1980, satellite observation, This evidence was confirmed by a report in a book entitled Atlas of the Solar System by Patrick Moore and Gary Hunt, published in 1983. Quote, in 1979, evidence was put forward indicating that the sun was shrinking from an analysis of solar diameter measurements made by the Royal Observatory, Greenwich, England, over a period of 120 years from 1836 to 1954. This is the Royal Reserve. That's the one at the Greenwich Mean Time. And they've been measuring with, with uh, uh, I guess, with the, uh, what's the word, there? Uh, telescopes. The sun has been shrinking. It was suggested that the diameter was decreasing by about 0.1% per century. In other words, confirm the other two or three comments. If this, uh, we're, we're continuing. If this figure is correct and represented a uniform rate of decrease, then the Sun would have been twice its present size about a hundred thousand years ago point one percent per century leads to a conclusion the Sun would have been twice its present size about a hundred thousand years ago let me ask you this how hot would it be if the Sun were twice the size would you think on the earth only 100,000 years ago. Dr. Eddie has found, now we're quoting back to that article, Dr. Eddie has found 400-year-old eclipse observations this came from China that are consistent with such shrinkage. Let me see if I can explain just how they can use eclipses to measure the sun. I, I showed diagrams. I showed a picture of the sun as it exists today, and I put on top of it, I put a, 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 a moon while it was in eclipse. Now, we saw the whole moon, but it was black. I put them side you know one on top of the other and of course it when it happens in real life it's the moon is almost the same size you know compared to the Sun itself so we sh- I go back and show you how much this means if the Sun was measured only a hundred thousand years ago twice the size there would be no Venus and no mercury and be gone and maybe even the earth uh, 54 billion years ago no the sun has been measured at being approximately nine Well, I, I got the distance wrong here so i don't know what it was rough. so i just made this assurance uh, the fellow that uploaded my dvd changed my my comment that i made very quickly and changed to the real ever because i got thousands of miles and it's much more than that to the sun so i wanted to act i didn't want to act as an alarmist i'm sure that there are still great amounts of time before the sun burns up its field this drawing was not shown to God to scale, but it is a drawing of the size of the sun and the first three planets of our universe, Mercury, Venus, and Earth. And 100,000 years ago, the sun would be twice its size and there would be no Mercury and Venus. But they're there today. How come? Billions of years? No. And then let me show you. Let's extend the sun backward to the size it would be 100 million years ago. The sun would have engulfed the planet. The universe is billions, 10 billion, 14 billion years old? No. If that's true, there's no Earth, no Venus, no Jupiter, no Mars. There would be no Earth. The Earth would have been swallowed up. Therefore, our system cannot be billions of years old. To once again summarize the comment, there would be no Earth just 100 million years ago now how do i base that on science measured. The de- carbon-14 is a decay rate. You measure the the, the, uh, the carbon-14 and then go back and see how much it, and you can figure out how old it was when it was created or died or whatever it was, and then they extend that backwards to how long. Between. It's a decay rate. You use the measured and then pro- progress it backwards, and you do that with the, the diminishing 0.1% every 100 years and show which way it goes, and suddenly you're talking about enormous suns. Millions of years ago. Let me now provide you with other scientific examples that prove that the Earth is young. And this discusses the magnetic field of the Earth. Dr. Thomas G. Barnes, professor of physics at the University of Texas, El Paso, pointed out that the magnetic field of the Earth has been measured for 135 years and has shown that it has been decaying with a half-life of 1,400 years. That would mean that the magnetic field was twice as strong 1,400 years ago as it is now, four times as strong 2,800 years ago. Only 7,000 years ago, it must have been 32 times as strong. Thus, thus 10,000 years ago, the Earth would have had a magnetic field as strong as that of the magnetic star. how hot would it be the magnetic field creates heat thus 10,000 years seems to be an outside limit for the age of the earth let me now discuss the subject of oil seepage it has been estimated that the amount of oil that seeps into oceans is 5 million tons per year it is also estimated that the total amount of offshore oil is 100 billion tons which means that the total amount of oil would have been lost to the oceans 2,500 times if oil is estimated to be 50 million years old, or it would take only 20,000 years to deplete the entire quantity of offshore oil. Yet it's still there, and we're still digging and finding it. How interesting. Let's discuss helium decay as plant and animal life decays and then decays and then life dies and then decays, a certain amount of helium is released into the atmosphere. Estimating by the rate of addition of helium to the atmosphere from radioactive decay, the age of the Earth appears to be about 10,000 years old, even allowing for moderate helium escape to the space above the atmosphere. A million years old? 10 million years old? 100 million years old? No. 10,000 years. Measured. Let's discuss population growth. Evolutionists generally theorize that man evolved about a million years ago. These early humans have certainly multiplied to the point where there are now about 7 billion people on the earth. An average population growth of one half percent a year would create the present population in just 4,000 years, not millions or billions, from two to what? <laughs> Uh, the present population in 4,000 years. By the way, this is only one fourth of the present rate of 2% a year. So if it was 2% a year, it would be just measured in thousands of years. Let's discuss transport of sediment. The present rate of transport of sediment by rivers could fill the oceans 19 times in 3.5 billion years. The Earth is billions of years old. How come there's oceans? There are some places there thousands of feet deep, 30 some thousand feet. According to billions years and the current rate of, of uh, transport of sediment like the Mississippi River's depositing a, uh, a tons of uh, mud every year into the Gulf of Mexico, the cottonists would be eroded to sea level in a mere 10.2 million years. These examples are only a few of, hold on America, I have 68. 68 scientifically measured decay rates documented in this book by dr. Henry Morse and Gary Parker in other words they've got other scientists including evolutionists who have measured decay rates and there's 68 of them I only gave you a couple three of them besides the Sun
0: well but, what is the title of that book
1: uh, boy I'm sorry uh, I don't have, unfortunately, if you can wait, if you, maybe, if you want to sing a song, I'll go get it for you, but I want yeah. you to know, you can read that book, Henry Morris and Gary Parker. I, unfortunately, I showed the slide, and I'm only only doing the notes and not the slides. If I had the slides in front of me, I could tell you, and I'll go look for it if we take a moment. No, that fine, fine. Okay. In addition, the following is a partial list of books published by scientists who have documented the fact that the Earth is very young and not very old, as is required by the theory of evolution. Age, this is only the title, Age of the Cosmos, Scientific Creationism. It is the young Earth, after all. What is creation, scientists, and the young Earth? Those are probably only four or five of the maybe 20, I'd say 10 different books I've read on the age of the Earth. I'm telling you, it cannot be billions of years old. But I'm going to give you one one more measurement in a few more minutes that'll just, I'll be able to convince you. I would hazard a guess that I have found I said a hundred measured accelerations, each one of which documents so I got to eighty-eight, or I said sixty-eight in book one book by Morris and Parker, and I've got others that I've discovered. I've got a file that's probably an inch thick of these things. Let me say, if only one, only one. Of these one hundred decay rates is true, it would prove by itself that the universe is not old. Sixty eight decay rates, all of which each one measured by scientists, prove a young earth. If only one of those sixty eight is true, it's not an old earth, and there's sixty eight of them. That single decay rate would prove to be fatal to the evolutionary theory by itself, only one. Okay, now let's keep going. I know you people are probably sitting was well, that what? <laughs> I've quoted a variety of scientists, some of them who are the leaders in the field. They've all proclaimed that Darwin was wrong. As I said before, there are no intermediate fossils, and there should be many, probably in the millions. And these two scientists knew that evolution, evolution was true. Was, was what did I say true, yeah, it was false. And there and others continue to teach in the universities and graduate schools all over America, and I want to know why. Now we're getting wrapped up to finish here. I want to go on record as urging the true scientific community to join together And expose the truth about what I have briefly covered it is time to close the curtain on evolution now the last area of science that I want to cover is this one what is the purpose of evolution why did Darwin publish his book I showed a picture of Julian Huxley a British evolutionary biologist. I think he just died a few years ago, so he's relatively modern. He was an ardent defender of the Darwinian theory of evolution and wrote frequently about it. I did a Google search of quotes by Julian Huxley and found two websites called Goodreads and AZ Quotes that included some of his writings, and of course there are others. I'd like, I'd like to show you just what this, quote, scientist, end quote, believed in. Evolution is the most powerful idea that has arisen on the earth. That's quote one. Number two, Darwin removed the whole idea of God as the creator from the sphere of rational discussion. Remove the whole idea of God, end quote. Modern science must rule out special creation or divine guidance, end quote. It will, quote, it will soon be impossible for an intelligent, educated man or woman to believe in a god end quote quote the god hypothesis is no longer of any value flipping pages and i'm having trouble to down to the bottom and it's a little more difficult to flip here we go quote in the evolutionary pattern of thought there is neither room nor need for the supernatural end quote i'm saying that many in america can see the fact that this nation's civilization is slowly deteriorating and i say the reason is in the main the false theory of evolution and i would dare say that julian huxley was right he said that the supernatural is being swept out of the universe and it is happening right in front of our very eyes and the reason it is is because in my opinion evolution it has removed God from the world. Now, let me finish. A couple more things to say. I showed her a little picture of a little girl, probably you know, third or fourth grade, sitting at a table. and It looks like a, a, a table that you have at lunchtime, sitting by herself. She's reading the Bible. But the school will not let pretty little Susie read her Bible in school. And the reason that the school will not let pretty little Susie read the Bible is because of evolution let me show you two scientists who have discovered a real truth there is a god two scientists and he cannot be driven out of the universe and let me show you how this is true i showed a per quality photocopy of an article that appeared in the august 14th 1981 edition of the london daily express newspaper and as you can see their headline reads there must be a God. And and he, of course you can't see this, but the word must was underlined. That was their emphasizing there must, there's absolutely must be a God, because of what these two men have discovered. The two gentlemen in the picture are Doctor Chandra Wick Ramesing and Sir Doctor Fred Hoyle. Doctor Ramesing is a professor of astronomy. At the Cardiff College in Wales, of course, he's both met or in England, and Dr. Hoyle is the director of the Institute of Astronomy at Cambridge University. So he's in Cambridge, and we got, we read from Cornell, and we read from uh, Harvard, and uh, here we're getting a different theory from an eminent scientist in Cambridge. One of the leading universities probably in the world each of these two scientists independently of each other computed the number of chances necessary for even the simplest life imaginable to have evolved by chance to be one chance in 10 to the 40 thousandth power that is roughly comparable to the probability of rolling double sixes meaning a total of 12 two dice roll them one after the other, 50,000 times in a row. Take the pair of dice, throw them out, and you're going to have to throw them at 12, 50,000 times to total the equivalent of 10 to the 40,000th power, as determined by two scientists who did the scientific research to discover that man could not have been created by chance. Let's continue. Let me say you roll 12, 10 times in a row, which by itself would be extremely difficult because, of course, there's, what, 11 different ways you can throw the two dice. And the 11th time you throw an 11. So you would have to start over again. And then you might throw a 6. And then maybe you might throw 11 or 12 or 5 times in a row and then throw a 3. But you've got to do it 50,000 times in a row. That can show you just how difficult it would be to roll this 12, 50,000 times in a row. And to show you just how huge that 50,000 number is in another way, Dr. Carl Sagan was quoted in an article entitled The Magnitude of Numbers in a parade magazine as saying, quote, The number of grains in all of the beaches of the earth is 10 to the 30th power. 10 followed by 30 zeros. And Coyle and Richard Ramersen figured you need forty thousand zeros. In other words, the universe originating by chance has no chance, according to the laws of chance. Laws. You cannot throw two quarters and get them only. If there's a, two quarters will will land only four ways. That's chance. You can you can actually predict it before you throw them. Now, there is a chance it might land on its edge, but even that can be measured. Let's go with Dr. Wick Ramessing, a, quen, a quote from this article in the in London um, newspaper. Quote, I am 100% certain that life could not have started spontaneously. The favorable property of physics on which life depends are in every respect deliberate. And I say the human mind screams at the observer, the universe is too complex to have been assembled by chance. It had to have been the result of a conscious design of a designer. Charles Darwin said, there must be intermediates, and there are none. None. Sir Fred Hall and Dr. Trickwick-Romasing said, there must be a god, and they proved it using the laws of chance okay here's one last quote from Dr. Richard Dawkins, a biologist at Oxford University. Once again, Oxford as Cambridge are probably the two leading universities, and notice they both have uh, people with uh, the theories of evolution, just like Harvard and I. Uh, we quoted Columbia, where it was. I think it would be appropriate at this point for me to summarize the entire discussion with this quotation from Dr. Richard Dawkins, a biologist at Oxford University in England. Quote. It is absolutely safe to say that if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. I end the court and I say, evolutionists are teaching America's children. And then I say, thank you very much. Okay, troopers, go after me, rip me apart, tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs>
0: Well, before we close and open it up for comments and questions, uh connect the dots to the the conspiracy, the ultimate Masonic conspiracy to do away with uh the belief in God as it relates to the Masons.
1: This is why the evolutionists believe you can read morals and dogma, who says that the universe was not created. He says it's been here forever. And it's very easy to prove. And by the way, uh uh, 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 the book Morals and Dogma was the number one book written by all, was the, the number one Mason of like 1859 to 1891. He was the leader of worldwide Freemasonry. He wrote a book called Morals and Dogma. And in there, he says quite clearly that the universe has always been here. That's not true. The sun is decaying.
0: And who was the author again? Who was that gentleman? Albert
1: Pike. Albert Patek, Pike, I K E Morals and Dogma. Yep. Now, you don't have to read the book. I'll make okay. you a deal. If you want to buy the book, please call me. And I'll send you a review of the book that quotes 75 to save you reading an 800 page book that is as boring as watching Ralph Epperson chase grasshoppers. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's just pure nonsense. But there's a bunch of wealth in that book. And that's why they, you've got to be, what's the word, you've got to be ambitious to read it. And once you read it, you're supposed to figure it out. Well, I figured it out. But I'm telling you, the universe had to have been created. I have, by the way, a little booklet out. It's on my website called God Exists, Proof for the Skeptic. And We'll come back to the Masons in a minute. Let me urge okay. you to go there. If you're an atheist, let me show you with your own words, with your own words, your answers. I'm going to ask you three questions, one after the other. We're going to, you're going to answer it, write it down, then answer the second question, write it down, answer the third question, and when you're through, Your own answers will confirm that God exists. You, your own answers. I didn't trick you. I asked you the question. You answered it. You voted down. That's your answer. Number two, you voted down. Number three, you voted down. Now, when you combine the three, you just said, in the beginning, God created the earth the, the universe and the earth or whatever it's called god created the, in the beginning and that's what you just said with your own answer. you agreed the universe had to have a beginning it does exist and it existed suddenly you can prove it yourself now let's go back to the basics little Ralphie epperson started in uh, 1985 i was re i was writing my first book the unseen hand which is now by the way still being published just a couple of days ago, I agreed to allow a publisher in India, at least the seventh nation, foreign nation, agreed and wants to publish my book in India. And India is the third largest nation in population in the world. And wow. they're going to publish my book, The Unseen Hand. And by the way, it's very revealing, because in that book, Lil Rafi Epperson discusses at the very beginning of The Unseen Hand, freedom. What does it mean to have unalienable rights what does it mean that you've got the right to property the unalienable right to property to freedom to life what does it mean what type of government should you create the people in India who read my book are going to be exposed to the theories actually the facts of truth in the free enterprise system being free and learning that government that you have created is wrong, that socialism doesn't work. I documented that back in 1985. I started teaching that in 1973. The unseen hand is still seven, at least there's probably been more because once again, I'm like Ghana I might publish it. And if I found out about oh, I fly to Ghana and try to hire an attorney? gonna <laughs> you know, they get out of here. we don't have courts for you to argue. He published your book. So I'm pleased. It's at least seven that I know of for sure Spain, uh, Germany, uh couple those Austria, Harvard, Harvard, you know, those, uh, Czechoslovakia, etc. They published it. So it's been published. Wow. And, and by the way, the last one was Communist China. Wow. Four billion four people have the chance now to read about freedom because it's very calmly and deliberately explained very simply. What does it mean? What is it? you notice one thing that no one likes to talk about, but all men are created hungry. I don't care who you are, you can be an atheist or an agnostic or a Buddhist, you need to eat. And without property, you starve to death. So you've got to have property. They've also got to have the, the ability to can you still hear me? I just think I pulled it. Yep. yep. I did. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay.
0: Hold on. Checking out
1: his Apparently, you can hear me, though, uh, right now. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. We OK. You can. okay. And so I don't need the speakers, then. We're talking on the no, telephone. OK. Okay, that's good. Because I I just I dis- disconnected my phone by accident, so I thought that meant that I could not. Get... Okay, where was I? I was talking about uh, uh, what? China, Czechoslovakia, Czechoslovakia. Well, all of these countries, they're going to learn about freedom for the first time probably ever. And I can't, I cannot, I am. You can't imagine how much, how humble that has made me. I said this is staggering. I thought when I wrote, the, I'll end with this, and then we'll get back to the nations. I thought when I wrote the book, I would buy a copy. Yes, I want to report that the sales of the uh, Unseen Hand are reaching a, a, a record numbers. And then I, my mother would back, oh, yes, just today the sales doubled. But I wouldn't tell them it went from one to two. But yes, the sales are phenomenal. They've doubled. in one day I noticed uh, that sales have increased. But I thought that would be the end of it. The book is still being published for 34 years now. It's still in circulation, selling people, still ordering it. What nations you're publishing South Africa is another nation that published it so it's being read all over the globe and I'm humble I just in my entire life never anticipated that okay now let's get back to the Masons now the Masons wait a minute Rob come on everybody knows who the Masons are we my father was a Mason my uh, my father my uncles are a Mason my brother's a Mason my my uh, uh, my police chief is a Mason the mayor is a Mason yes that's true but these men are but the point is that they don't know what Mason really is, because the Masons are told it's a fraternity of men of, of good men who are going to become better men. And I say, then, okay, fine, if that's true, why is it secret? Why don't you tell it to the world? You don't think the world wants to become better men? Make it see. Stop being secret. You mean in in secret? I can't go to your meetings. I can't go to your. The wife can't even go to the initiation of her husband. That's called secret. But wait a minute—they claim it makes good men into better men. Well, I know a lot of good men who would like to be better. Please make it available to me. I want to join the Masons. But when you do, they lie to you. Masons put—I I, I got this quote almost for being my most altestant challenge. dream. Albert Pike wrote in *Morals and God, "If you reflect, my brother, you will no doubt suspect." that some secret teaching was contained in these words, unquote, in the words of the book. So what does that secret mean? What is it? Well, you're supposed to reflect. And they admit over and over again. I read 14 of their major writers. They all say the same thing. You've got to read, study, and reflect, ponder. And then once you start to figure it out, you're going to learn the true purpose of Masonry. And that is revealed at the thirtieth degree. Now, I want to tell you a quick story. Little Rafi Epperson was writing my second book called The New world Order, which was it was my introduction. When I was finishing The Unseen Hand, someone recommended I read Burrows and Dogma, which I did. I got the book and bought it. It took me four years to write my second book called The New world Order, and in there I discussed the Mason, the, the preliminary stuff I learned about the Masons. So it was probably a. A medium, I'd say, a 50% of what I later found in my third book, which is we will cover it in a minute. But the third book got into the uh, uh, history a little bit and also a little bit about what they may study. So I pointed that out. So I wrote that book. But anyway, during that time, uh, I was writing the book. I got a phone call from the. I live in Tucson, Arizona, and a man called me and said, "Hi, Ralph. Yes, how are you?" He said, my name is Rex. I said, well, oh, Rex, nice to meet you. What, what can I do for you? He said, I just had a call. We're making this brief. I just got a phone call from a friend of mine in in Denver who said that uh, two weeks ago you were lecturing against uh, against masonry. And I said, well, Rex, I can tell you this. I haven't been in Denver for uh, not two weeks ago or even four weeks ago or a month ago or six weeks. I haven't been in Denver for years, but I did lecture at one time. So I think probably what your friend saw was someone taped it, no doubt, and it got circulated, and your friend ended up with it. Maybe he watched it two weeks ago. No, he said, too. I said, Rex, that's not the reason you're calling me, is it? He said, no. I said, what? He said, why are you speaking against basery? I said, I can't tell you. He said, why? I said, it doesn't matter because you can't answer the question. What do you mean? I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Let's test it. I'm telling you that I've read your books, the major books, and I've been able to prove that inside the Masonic Lodge there's two layers. One layer knows the real meaning of the secrets revealed, and the second layer is lied to. He said, That's not true. I said, You just answered my question. you proved you I can't trust your answer. And I'll tell you why. I said, Let's say you didn't believe or know there was a second layer that all the masons are the same you would deny it but if you did know that there was a secret layer was keeping the secrets from the rest of the masons you would deny that as well because you took a vow to do that you didn't like that because i knew right? in any event he persisted he kept calling. i said why don't you come speak to my lodge so he came to the house well, I'll say probably this week. If he came to my house later, in the day, he gave me his copy of his book that he'd written for the Masons that replaced the book Morals and God, is that important. Now, he's a Ph.D. from the University of Arizona. And uh, I was teaching, I guess, someplace at the community. I maybe it at the you I don't know. But anyway, he had written the book and he came to my house. He gave me his book that he had just written a couple of years before. And I gave him the Unseen Hand. So he read that and said, oh, boy, this guy doesn't know do anything about masonry. So I invited him to speak. He was the worshipful master of his local lodge, in two, one of the local lodges in Tucson. So I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give me a little more. I'm still looking into this. As soon as I get it finished, I'll, I did not want to tell him that I was writing the book to expose masonry. I just thought I'd better be careful. <laughs> These people don't like people like me writing books against masonry. You're supposed to write them yeah. in favor of it. So I just kept putting him off. So finally, uh, he stopped calling. And uh, so but when I read this book, it exposed to me that that um, Albert Pike had written other books. And I did not know about because all I thought was morals and dogma. Everybody said, read morals and dogma. And by the way, that book used to be given at the 14th degree to every Mason, and he was encouraged to read it. Well, it's 900 pages, as I said. It's the most boring book in the world. I've never seen it so boring. And he talks around in riddles and stuff, but boy, there's some real kernels, and that's what you're supposed to find. You're supposed to ponder. He makes a statement that doesn't seem to fit, and then you start thinking about, well, wait maybe it does fit, and if you're all true, then suddenly you figure figured out the secret, the true secret of the nations, but then you take an oath. Now let's go back. He recommended, he suggested that you read a book called Magnum Opus, which is a copy of the, uh, okay, let me give you a little brief. For those who don't know anything about the Masons, okay, you are you are not uh, you are not invited to join. You are to go and say, "Gee, I've heard so much about it. I, I want to join the Masons." So you're supposed to walk in the door and say, "I want to join." They cannot recruit you. Although, by the way, they're they're now doing that. They're recruiting. They got signs up on the walls and bumper stickers and all So that's that. We'll get into that later. So, anyway, you're supposed to go. I oh, guess I want to join. So, you go through three rituals. They're separated by time. And you go through and they whisper things in your ears and you walk around and they tell you little things and then they might even expose something, but you're always blind. Now, let me tell you this this is, the, this is what you go through. Being, I'm going to use my terms rather than theirs. The vice president, number two in charge, has walked you around what they call circumambulation together you and the vice president and he whispers things or others do or they touch you in such a way to indicate there's a sign or a symbol there and you're blindfolded and they got it they got a rope around your neck it's called the cable toe and that's well I will cover that in a minute so then now you get up in front of the president so the president asks the vice president what do you seek for this initiative notice the initiative does answer the vice President does light, light like a light professional, bulb, bulb. just the one word, light. And at the second degree, he goes to the same thing, different symbols and signs are given him, and whisperings and everything else. And he goes up there, he's still blindfolded. And then they this the president asks the vice What do you seek for this initiate? And he says, Further light, two words. And then he goes ahead and he's through for the night or wherever it is. There's some more words. Talk. He takes flight along, and he gets to talk to the other guys. They have, probably have a punch or something. Who knows? And then he goes back. Whatever time, there's a time gap between one and two and two and three. He goes back to the third one. Now, here's the key. The same thing happens. And he goes back to the vice president, says further. When I say further light, he says more light. So it's light, further light, more light. So you're still looking for light you don't know what light represents but then at the end there's a there's a time when there when the, the president addresses all of the candidates for the first three degrees and he says all of them together uh listen now we want you to know that the uh, the, the light represents the true the true uh true nature of deity he makes that comment in about a half-hour speech just four forward wherever it is and you say wait a minute wait a minute let's come back he just said I'm looking for light I'm looking for further light I'm looking for more light and then he just said that that the light represents the true nature of deity now what does that mean wait a minute, I'm a Christian I get the true, further light of God from the Bible no he says they've got the further light that means the Bible doesn't give you the true light I'm a Jew, I've been the Jewish faith, I've got the Old Testament, and uh, I get my answers about God from the Old Testament. No, he says, we're going to give you the true, the true nature of deity. And that's where they leave it. Now, you can end up, you, once you finish, you're called a master mason at the third degree. Now, you have two options. You don't have to, you can stay there forever, and you're called a master mason. You could go to the Scottish Rite, and there's 29 more degrees for a total of 32 and then there's a york right and that's called the christian one and there's 10 more for a total of 13. and then on top of both of these which rules both of these the scottish right and the york right is the 33rd degree but that's honorary you can't ask to join they ask you so that's honorary and it's i think based on one 33rd for every 100 nation, whatever it is, there's some sort of quotient. So they don't. everybody has to get to be a 33rd, only certain ones. So they run all masonry according to that. Okay, now, so now you're reading the book Magnum Opus, and you get to the 30th degree. And now in your 30th degree, you're given a sword in your hands. That's a tool of violence. And you are exposed to three, skeletons, uh, three skulls. Now, I don't know if they're real or not that's not clear they are skulls and they're on a table they call it an altar even an altar and they're all each one is wearing a different I'll call it a hat just for the sake of one for three the first one's wearing a laurel wreath laurel is some sort of plant they, they pull the leaves out and weave them together and you'll see sometimes the Caesars are wearing a laurel wreath uh, when they had the Olympics, I'm told the winner and them put the shot further than all the other guys. He got a roar with being a sign of victory. And then the second one is a skull wearing a tiara, a three-tiered crown of the Pope. And the third skull is wearing a crown, meaning crusted with jewels, which represents government. And then you... As a 29th or 30th degree Mason, take a vow to oppose tyranny in all its forms. But you're, in this, you're told that governments are tyrants, and the Pope is a tyrant. And I'll tell you why. Let me explain to you. If we let's go back to why do we create government? We do so to protect our unalienable rights, which means I've got the right to life. You don't have the right to take it. So I hire a bodyguard called government. You hire a bodyguard. In fact, maybe you and I can join together and we'll hire one to protect both of us. Or maybe five of us are going together to get one for our neighborhood or it is, So we create government to protect our rights. But they say, wait a minute, governments are pirates because they tell us what we." can and cannot do so they say wait a minute we should be living under liberty the words liberty and freedom are not the same they're not synonyms they're antonyms they're opposites freedom is defined as acting morally without permission but notice that act morally. Not The Bible says, in fact, every major religion in the world has got a basic tenet. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Which is, don't take your neighbor's property and he won't take yours, and you can live in freedom. But liberty means you're free to do whatever you jolly well want. Our founding fathers created this nation with the unalienable right to liberty. God doesn't grant liberty because that means we're free to disobey him. The reason we don't take our neighbor's life is because we don't want our life taken. So God said, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. The reason we don't steal is we don't want others to steal our property, and we need property to live. This is basically what our Declaration of Independence said. So now we've got a problem. Governments. Don't do this. Don't do that. You've got to have a license. You can't do it on Thursdays, but maybe on Fridays, but only if you ask for permission and go to pay a fee. And down at that counter stand for an hour to get your fee. And then you can go pay your taxes for things you don't want to do. Like we are those of you who, don't oppose, who are opposed to abortion, you have to pay for it anyway. If you don't, want, if you don't believe you should want a medical insurance, you've got to be forced to do it. And we're going to force you to pay for your neighbor because you, that's called tyranny. He's been defined as powerful government for years, centuries. So you have just taken about out. Excuse me. I got to take a sip here. Hold on. i uh, sing a song, Fred, for a few minutes, would you please?
0: <laughs> oh boy.
1: Okay. Oh, now. You're on a
0: roll. You're on a roll. We got
1: <laughs> See how this all fits together? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We created this nation under the Judeo-Christian ethic. And if you want to prove that, read the Mayflower Compact. Those men on board that ship committed this nation to Jesus Christ. And, of course, as you'll read in the Unseen Hand, a few years later, a bunch of people came here to take it away from Christ. Isn't that interesting? And that's what's happening in America today. We're taking away God and evolution's teaching. There's no God. See, we we can prove with science to explain the origin of man. You see, now let's finish with this. This man just took an oath verbally. He committed to agreeing to an oath that required him to oppose tyranny under all forms when ordered to do so forever. Wait a minute. What is the true purpose of Christianity? It's revealed in the thirtieth degree. They're in opposition to Christianity because when the rituals were written, I don't know. I don't know when. Was it Martin Luther started the Reformation, or what it's called? When he got the <clears throat> hammered some tenets up on the wall of the church, and started the Protestant movement. I don't know if that was. But anyway, when Pike wrote this book. Uh, morals and dogma, most of the people, and Magnum Opus as well, a few years later, he wrote most governments, most uh, uh, the biggest religion in the world was Christianity, the Catholic Church. So that's why the Pope wears a tiara. So he doesn't know it, but he just took a vow to destroy Christianity and government, period. Wow. Now, you want some proof of this? I'll end with this, and then that basically tells you. By the way, he said that we have just revealed to you the true nature. The true purpose, forgive me, two words, true purpose of masonry, concealed it from you. you we didn't say it directly. Let me say this. If you just took a, you're a Christian, and you dared to tell you're taking a vow to destroy Christianity, what are you going to do with your sword? and lay it down and get the frig out of there. So they can't tell you directly. If you reflect, my brother, you will no doubt suspect that some secret teaching was contained in these words. And It was. Mm-hmm. They're out to destroy Christianity. That's why evolution still being taught. And the the, the Masons are the ones who are support of public education. I confirmed that when I went, uh, while I was re- researching the Unseen Hand and a speech I was going to deliver, I decided, I had learned once years before that the Masons have a small library that's open to the public, and they keep all their books are there inside so I called the lodge downtown in Tucson and said, my name is Ralph Emerson, I live in Tucson, I'm doing a research for speech, I'd like to come in, if I can, can come in, I got a book that I know you have a copy of, I presume you do, and I'd like to use it too." so I said yes, so I, they, I they banged on the door, they were locked in, They opened the door came inside, they led me to the little, it's a closet-sized thing with a, maybe a hundred different books on there, so I found the right one I wanted, quote, you know, wrote down the quote and the page. It was on the number of the book and when it was published. And as I got up, they both greeted me on the way out. And they said, Why are you doing this? I said, I'm just curious. I didn't want to tell them I'm writing a book to expose you people. <laughs> <laughs> I might not get out of there. I don't know. So I said, No, I'm just curious. I just wanted to know. I, uh, the U of A library didn't have a copy of them. Uh, and I named the book wherever it was. Uh, so much encyclopedia, So I mm-hmm. named it. And so that meant that I knew what I was looking for. So they let me go. But they wanted to know, did you want? They, in fact, they offered me a copy of the uh, Morals and Dogma book, which means, according to uh, Rex Hutchins' book, they stopped using it in 1978. This was 1985. So it was eight years later, seven years later, and they were still handing them out. They had a bunch of them under a counter. They offered me one. It occurred grand spanking new. Trying to get rid of
0: them.
1: Trying to get rid of them. Yeah. That said, Yeah. They wanted me to read it and figure it out so I could join them. Now, do you understand what I'm telling you? This is all by design. People on this earth right now are out to destroy Christianity. They're called progressives. They're called communists. They're called socialists. Liberals. Yep. What do you call? Notice this. We're getting a socialist in America. It has never worked in the history of this nation. And any nation in the world who has ever tried it, look at the joys of Venezuela, Brazil—not Brazil, but uh, Nicaragua. Some of the Latin American countries. Look at the 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 uh, the Denmark, Sweden, and what's uh, Norway up the the. How do they call that? Those three nations. This it, it doesn't work there's there's things going on, on the internet and boy god bless for the, the, the internet it's been a wealth of research you could do incredible research with the internet if you know how to use it but there, there's a, a, a school teacher in denmark telling us Lord, it was a two two piece you know it was on an eight and a half eleven then there was a second page so i photocopied and put it inside a plastic holder to make sure i'd find it and she talks about the 60 percent taxes they pay down to the gas five dollars and then you got to pay sales tax of 68% on the gallon of gasoline. And that, uh, there's no money left. Uh, a, a young man gave me a message when I was talking about this on the Facebook. He said, listen, let me tell you this. I'm a student uh, during the winter, uh, summer last year. I toured those countries, just with a sleeping bag and uh, you know maybe some others. And he said, well, we, we met, we sat and talked to people up in those countries tell us about your life. Oh, it's been terrible. You know, I don't have any money left over. So see, this this is this is a night out on the town. Now you and I do that we go to a fancy restaurant and order champagne and uh, mm-hmm. caviar and uh, and want musicians serenading us as we eat the olive. And whatever <laughs> We want the dancing girls and the display and everything. Else. They go out to McDonald's. That's all the money they got left. In Cuba there's a minimum wage of twenty dollars a month. Oh I'm sorry, I should have said a maximum wage. Twenty dollars a month. Why? What can he do about vacations on twenty dollars a month? Nothing. Doesn't uh-huh. have a car, doesn't have a home. That's socialism for you. Then later they're eating garbage. Yeah, you know you know, red lace I read was <laughs> they're emptying out the garbage. Plastic bags and selling them. That's the way of little way to maybe make enough money to find something to eat. The joys of socialism. But notice the Masons who are making better government and they're making better men out of good men. They're not saying anything about this. In fact, they're telling you keep your hands off the public schools. And little Ralphie Epperson said, "Get your children out." They're teaching your children there's no God. It's a religion. Uh, evolution is a religion. I would urge you, who, who's ever listening, find Kent Hovind, H-O-V is in Victor, I-N-D. Get familiar with this man. He's exposed. It. He does a twenty-hour seminar. Show you it's a religion to these people. It is a religion.
0: H-O-V-I-N-D,
1: right? Yeah, V is in Victor. Kurt, K-U-R-T. Go there, Google. He's uh, Every night, uh, well, I, I'm sorry, I can't find it every night because he's still working on this, but he he has a little, uh, there's a group of people who I guess work for him, or at least he's building a thing called Dino Park or something where he's going to have features of dinosaurs and use it as a way to teach an evolution to fraud. And so he's working on that, and he has a little Bible study, and he records that, and he answers questions or does a little lecture seminar. And you can find one of those just one night. But if you want to be educated, watch his seminar. It's like, I think, 10 or 12 hours long. Ralph, Boy. Ralph,
0: could you spell his name again for us? Yes,
1: the first name is Kurt. K is in canapple. <laughs> okay. U, umbrella. R, Ralph. T, terrific. K U R T. Okay. H. Howard. O. Uh, Oscar. V is in Victor. What uh, well, what's that? But Victor. <laughs> Vanessa. H O V I. N is in Nancy. D. David. Please get familiar with this man. He has done. Fant- I have never met anyone that knows as much about evolution and the problems with it as this one man. I've given you in 68 minutes, or all it took, plus or minus. Uh, that's all. You know, that's that's a. I'm not going to make any bigger ones. That's enough. To, if that doesn't convince you how stupid this whole thing is, then uh, uh, Hovind won't be able to convince you.
0: All right, guys. Kurt Hovind H-O-V-I-N-D.
1: Correct. So Kurt, Kurt Hovind And find. Okay. And if by the way, if you if I've misspelled it or something. Please, I'm Ralph Epperson on Facebook. Go to my website or go to Facebook and send me a message and I'll read it and yeah. I'll correct it for you. But in my most positive, it's K-U-R-T-H-O-V as in Victor I-N-D.
0: Okay, Ralph, thank you so much. This has been quite a quite, quite a show tonight.
1: Uh, well, have you got any the, callers who want to challenge me?
0: Yeah, uh, open it up, everyone. Anybody comment or question real quick? Guys, we're at we're almost at the at the uh, at the two hour mark here. Go ahead, just star six your phone or unmute. let talk to you. Anyone?
1: Okay, I'm sorry. Were you, you talking to me?
0: Yeah, I just made an appeal. If anyone would like to make a comment, oh, I see. Question, I'm very sorry. Sure. Okay. will comment of question?
1: Too. I thought maybe you were ending it. Okay, you now you want to, I'll take no. colors if they no. wanted. Yeah, no, no, no. We're,
0: we're, we're, oh, okay. is it? Is it? Isn't it Kent Tolvend?
1: Thank, yeah. thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. It no, is no. Kent. Thank you. Forgive me. I, can't for I, I was uh, close. But go ahead, and who that
0: was, Renee, was
1: that you? Yes, it was uh, you. I said Kurt. Okay, there will be a public uh, uh, humiliation of Ralph <laughs> Epperson in the town square here in Tucson tomorrow. So, yeah, oh,
0: no, that, that, this is small. This is a small thing, Ralph. It's a small thing. <laughs> but I, I want to. I want to give the lady. Who was it were you, Renee, that spoke up? You uh, Oh, Bixie. Dixie. Okay, go ahead, Dixie.
2: Sorry.
0: Oh, thank you, Mister. Person. I read your book, The Unseen Hand. Fascinating. Wow, I loved it. Uh, it was. If he gets Kenneth Hoven. Somebody
2: sent me his DVDs. Yeah, Kenneth. Hovind, H O V I N D, I believe. But I could be wrong about the, misspell- the spelling of the last
0: name. But I seem okay, to thank you very much. So now you're she welcome. said,
1: I think she said Kenneth. <laughs> we have a slight difference. No, it's, you're right. It is uh, uh, Kent, K E N T. Thank you. But anyway, please. This man, he he's like he's a he enjoys laughing and giggling and having time and he's funny and he, he uses you know he's clever and he he was a biology teacher or botany or something for 16 years in our government school. Yeah. By the way, don't call them public anymore. They're government schools. The they government indoctr- yeah, indoctrinate All
0: indoctrinate schools. They're Yeah. In are members.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. I call them garbage factories, garbage in, garbage out. Young know, you people, this is all the way through the whole system. Little Ralphie mm-hmm. Epperson, I'll give you it while we're waiting for cars. Little Ralphie Epperson, I'm here in Tucson, and I don't want any of you to add figures together, but I gave you some clue that I'm what they call a senior citizen. And I look back on my life, and if I had the ability to travel in time and met the Ralph Epperson years ago when I first started this way back when I was a young man, and walked up and said, listen, I'm Ralph Everson Well, who? I'm from the future. I'm telling you, man, this is what you're going to be thinking when you get to be my age. He said, you're crazy. Where did you come from? You're you're a devil. You're a demon. I said, no, I've learned in numbers of years. that What's going on? And I figured it out, and I've, I've reflected, I've pondered. And I figured it out and I'm making it public. I think I did in sixty eight minutes I devastated evolution. Period. It's over. There's no way you can deny those arguments. Okay. Anyone want to talk about basketball? Yeah. <laughs> uh hey okay, Ralph
0: Yeah, I got a well, question. Yeah, yeah. Hey Ralph, would you define the deep state? Who makes uh, up to these states?
1: they, they uh, let me say this uh, <laughs> if you go to the back of your dollar bill we this will be interesting and maybe we could talk for a few minutes uh, you will learn that America has a secret destiny. It's right there on the back of your dollar bill. Oh, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I don't know anybody. Well, give me everyone reaching your wallet or purse to get one on. That's if you're wealthy enough to have one
2: if your yeah, uh, Obama
1: didn't tax you down to your nickels and dimes. You got a dollar bill, flip it over on the back. Okay, everybody, let's get voice unif- unification here. Let's get how many of you know what anything of those things mean? Let's yeah, start no with the
0: Yeah,
1: right. Let's start good with word that word. over there by the pyramid. First of all, why do we have a pyramid like that on our dollar bill? What's that all about? We don't have any pyramids like that. There are no stone pyramids like that in America. Now, down in Mexico and Latin America, they got pyramids, but they're stepped. You know, up, cross, up, cross, like that, a sawtooth. These are smooth on both sides. What's that that about? Why do you have a pyramid on our dollar bill? Well, I'm telling you, there's a reason for it. Now, let's talk about the Latin phrase. Annuit septus. Novos ordo, secorum. Now that's Latin. Why don't we, first of all why do you have Latin? We don't speak Latin. we never spoke Latin in America? So this was a message for some people who spoke Latin in America, or well, the learned people. A lot of those people learned Latin as an outside second language. Okay, now annuit, announcing, or the announcement of septus or conception, the birth of, announcing the birth of. The conception of, meaning we're starting something today, baby. Announcing the birth. Of, we're starting some brand new babies born. Novus, new, ordo, order, secorum, world. Announcing the birth of the new world. Now, wait a minute. What's that all about? Everybody knows George Bush made that. Thought. No, our founding fathers announced that it was the birth of something the New World Order. Bush was already bringing it. He said, we're we're going to be successful in bringing it about. In other words, it's a baby back in 87, when they, or 1782, where was, they designed the Great Seal. First of all, why do we have two seals? You'll notice around the circles, I think it says the Great Seal of the United States. What's a seal? A seal is A a document, let's say back in the old days, they fold a piece of parchment into two, you know, so that one part is halfway on top of the other part, and then they seal it with wax. And then as the wax dries or hardens, the king would stick his ring in it, and then withdraw it. And then there would, it would leave an impression, it would dry, and it would be you could see up and down, oh, there's always a king in a castle, and a man on a horse and uh, some words. And then if that went to the other king, If he got it and it had not been opened, he would know that no one had tampered with it. If the seal had been broken, he would have learned, because you can't duplicate it once it's created. That's what seals are for. It's supposed to be the official signature that this document's valid, because it's signed by the king. But we got two seals. Why? Because our sacred destiny is concealed in the left side. Now, notice the pyramid is flat on top. There's a triangle up there, with an eye in it, and the eye's got radiation, like it's bright, like a sun almost. So it's called the eye of it. Who? And boy, I'll tell you, this opens up a can of worms. Let's leave that for a minute. Anyway, it's on top. Some day yeah. that eye's going to land, and the the baby will be an adult. Now, what's that? Okay. Now let's do one more thing. Look above the eagle. And there's what they call a burst, BORST burst, and of puffy white clouds, and then you'll see that there's thirteen little stars uh, forming a six pointed star. Now disregard the one in the middle. We're concerned about the other uh, the other what uh, uh, six other oh, six of them. so disregard because there's six of those, and uh, there, what, I, I, I'm by my mind drawing black. Anyway, draw the lines and you'll, you'll form two pyramids. Uh, uh, pyramids. One triangle, one going up, one going down. Now pick that up and put it down on the other side with the pyramid on it. And you'll notice it fits inside approximately. and may have to make it larger or smaller. And you'll notice that five of the points point to letters. Notice that the point with the I in it points to a blank space. So there's going to be five letters. It's go like a clock. Ten o'clock, there's an, a, a A for an... A, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, announcing. <laughs> a, whatever it is. Then there's a space, and then there's S for septus. That's right. A, S, announcing, and then the S for septus, and then down the bottom, M third novos, second O in ordo, the M in, in the form. A, S, N, O, M is called an anagram. It's a word meaning you can use it as a code. You put the letters down, and then someone's going to re scramble it. A, S, N, O, M is M, A, S, O, N. That tells us something, doesn't it? Who were the people that designed the great seal? The masons. Now, let's go over to the eagle side. Now, you can't do this very small, but if you magnify that as big as you can make it and count the feathers on the wings. Now, I'm going to use the eagle's left wing, which means it's on our right. The left wing has 32 feathers, but the right wing has 33 feathers. I was an artist. No, the Masons have 32 degrees. And the 33rd is the one that rules. And notice which way the eagles looking towards the side with the 33 feathers. Notice there are nine tail feathers. Eagles don't have nine tail feathers. I've read where there's many as 12 maybe sometimes even 13. So this is not an eagle. It's something else. It represents something and it's the new world order. It's going to come in on the thirty-third degree, led by nine individuals. By the way, the tail feathers guide the control of the altitude and the wings. It's not the wings; it's the 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 tail feathers. They're the ones that make it go up or down or right or left. So this is the tail feathers. Nine of them, and there are nine in charge of this whole thing. And and the top layer's got nine of them. That that's a subject for another day. But we'll get into that later. But the, the point is this. There's a lot of information. Now, what is the New World Order? My second book is entitled The New World Order. Isn't that strange? But the third book is called Masonry, Conspiracy Against Christianity. Now, if you I, want to read Morals and Dogma, I don't. I can read you. To, you can probably find me in a used bookstore. But please remember my name, Ralph Epperson. Call me get yep. in touch with me and I will I will show you, walk you through it to underline the essentials of that book. And you're going to read more than you want to read. You're not supposed to know that book exists and you might have trouble finding it. It's now being sold on Google on Facebook. But get a copy of it or then, if nothing else, I have a review of Morals and Dogma. I'll send it to you for free. Send me, it's 90 pages, but it's 75 of their major quotes in that book. Forget the rest of the nine hundred pages. These are the essence. <laughs> Ralph Epperson. On uh, Facebook uh, uh, Ralph, your, your email address is R A at Amen. That's got it.
0: By the way, you can uh, call
1: me. If you want to object or call me. Keep in touch.
0: And, 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 and please pass around and share Ralph's website. Pass around and share the YouTube link which contains his entire presentation, uh, along with the graphics and everything what he did tonight.
1: Hey, yeah, well, hey, Ralph. what is the deep state? Who's behind the deep state? Who are I mean, the people? There, there, a, just today, people? just today, I answered that question for you on a DVD. It's called the power but
2: behind. Who are these
1: people? Who are these people? I'm telling you, the power behind the conspiracy. Write it down and find it. It's 23 minutes long. It's going to startle you because you've never ever in your entire life heard of this. But I found it. It doesn't mean it's. I think it is. But boy, no, it's hard to find because it's buried. It's buried, buried. But little Ralphie, and his diligence, found it. And just yesterday, it was it was uploaded. The power behind the conspiracy. Please, you're going to laugh. You're going to say this can't be true. I'm this guy's. This guy's really. I'm telling you, you will not believe it. It, 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 But you're going to know who's in charge. It's not you. It's not David Rockefeller. It's not the the Rothschilds. It's not the Warburgs. It's not the bankers. It's not the uh, the, whoever else you wear. It's none. None None of the above.
2: Who are they then?
1: (laughs) Twenty-three minutes you can watch the whole thing. Watch it. The power behind the conspiracy. If you had asked me about that last week, I would have said, I, I can't tell you. This thing will <laughs> document it for you, please. You'll notice now, you did not see the slide. I could urge you. Uh, Charles Darwin admitted his theory is bogus or fraud. Watch. Find it on the Internet. Watch. You'll see the slides and the footnotes and the the times and dates. We have it in, in our
0: newsletter. The link is in our newsletter, everyone.
1: Thank you. Listen, you people have been very kind to me and let me put up with my. <laughs> and I even tried to insult Fred by making him try to sing, and I, I'm sure Fred says I'm not going to sing. So Fred, no, don't I'm just oh really yeah, huh? careful. I, I I love to sing, and I can I I, I can sing <clears>
0: silent night <laughs> using Crime numbers. If you want me to, I'll do it, but not. No, <laughs> no, no,
1: no, no, no. I don't think I want to hear you sing, Fred. Oh, he Listen. can sing with prime
0: numbers. That's pretty
1: creative. Yeah. <laughs> that's Listen, I'll people. drive you all
0: off the call. I'll drive you all off the call. <laughs> Please. Listen,
1: no. Ralph, good, thank you so much. Let, let me just that end is, with this uh, it's,
0: it's a wrap. It's full two hours. Please go to Ralph's links. Share them around. We'll have you back on, Ralph. Uh, always a pleasure. And, uh, uh, man.
1: Thank you, all three of you. I can't thank you enough for allowing me to to do this under those conditions. <laughs> Please keep in touch. Any way I can be of assistance, I'll be another guest anytime. Ralph. Get back in thank touch. You so
0: much. Bob, bless thank you man. very much. Thanks, Ralph. Ralph. Thank Bye-bye. you, Ralph.
2: Thank you, Ralph. We learned a
0: lot. Hey, <laughs> hey <laughs> Fred. Yeah. Fred. Well, we're. 80 well, 80 you him, 80 80 i got to get this CVD. Underground <laughs> Network. I'll send you the link. I'll, we'll We'll. But we'll we'll get it to you okay send me the link i will All right.